Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Happy April Fool's Day. Welcome back to Spiro Avenue. And before you ask any questions, because I know you're going to, a rare deviation from our normal attire. As you may notice, we're wearing the North Carolina, Carolina blue zip up today in honor of the dearly departed Roy Williams. So rest well in retirement, Roy. Uh, you know, Tar Heel Nation is grateful for all you did. I've been a member of that nation for like five minutes, but it's been a wonderful five minutes. I'm sorry I never got to see your glory days. But I know you're wondering why I'm wearing the North Carolina blue. That is why. Uh, have a great retirement to Roy Williams. I know you're watching with your heart on, and uh, we love you. So that aside. We have had many dignitaries come through these walls, and many dignitaries are on my wall in the studio over my shoulder. We have Chris Castellani, Ant Wright, the world-famous, universally beloved Greg Henson. Nobody dislikes Greg. And one of the ultimate dignitaries has been in once before, but never solo. He came in with Darian Harris, happens to be a dear friend of mine, Scott Anderson, not that one. My Scott Anderson, welcome back. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped. We've talked about it for a while. You and I, this is going to be an easy show for me, the easiest show I've ever done, because we talk about this shit all the time. (laughs) This is like, you're like in that group chat with me, so this is kind of uh, old hat for us. We were talking, chopping it up for a half an hour before the cameras were even on, so I'm happy to have you, man. Exactly. Well, I'm pumped to keep it going. It's a big fan of the show. I'm excited to... To get be a part of it now. So baseball season started today. Not everyone watches this live, but you know it was today. The Tigers win, and it's probably going to be the first of not so many wins by all accounts. You look at every metric, all the projections, you know the zips and the fan graphs and the Spiro Avenue charts, and uh, you know Jeff Passan. Doesn't matter whom you speak to, the Detroit Tigers are not projected to do well. I think that's fair. I don't think you're going to sit there and tell me the Tigers are going to win 95 games this year, right? But I'm, I'm curious for your thoughts on the general state of the rebuild, how things are going, how it's progressing. Where do you stand? Uh, my stand is that, hey, I'm giving this season as a complete 21. I've got no expectations. But, hey, if next year we don't have some sort of strong progress, whether it's like contending until June, July, August, where you're like in the race, wild card race out by three games, four games, and you're continuing looking at buying at the deadline. I'm cool with that. But right now I'm going to let this season kind of roll, kind of just have fun with the young guys, see their development. I don't really care if we finish with 65 wins, 70 wins, maybe they get a little pesky, go 77 wins, 78, get close to 500. But, you know, I'm not too worried about the wins and losses this year. That's kind of where I stand. I mean, I agree. I, you know, if anything, I'm curious for your stance on this. I'm almost in the camp of, like, first of all, I think A.J. Hinch is the best manager in baseball. Get that on the table now. I think he's phenomenal. Top three for sure. He's, he's up there. I mean, yeah. there's not many you take over him if he's not number yeah. one on your list. But I love him. I'd like to see him do well just because I think it'd be good. You know, that's wonderful. But... The flip side is I almost think we might be better off with like one more shitty year and a top five pick. Like we're, we have the third, third pick coming up soon. Yeah. I think that'll be great because you're, there's two pitchers up top that are from Vanderbilt that are phenomenal. You're either going to get one of the two best pitchers or the best hitter in the draft. So it's like 
their third is actually kind of like a sexy spot. It'll yeah. it'll be there for you either way. I, I'm wondering, do you think they're better off this year? They looked pretty pesky today in their own way. Are they better off being feisty, pesky, whatever you want to call it, win 75 games this year, and then they're picking like ninth or seventh or wherever that lands? Or are they better off just stinking and being top three one more year picking next year? You know, if you had to put gun to my head and I had to choose between one or the other, I think it's definitely going to be, I'm going to take the pesky team because I think these young guys are thirsty, they're ready, and it's been so long. It's been four or five years of just futility, gross records, just every, I mean, I'm sure it was like, by, baseball's a long season. By the end of the seasons, August, September, these guys just have to be completely sick of it. Like, this blows. Like, I want to, you know, have some fun, and I think this is, it'll be invigorating for the clubhouse and get, like, it's kind of like what, um, 03 was the awful season. 04, 05, those kind of was like the the climb, the ascent up. I think we need that. I think you need that ascent. And then when 06 all came together, we can hopefully have that, whether probably not next year, but maybe that's 23. You know? Yeah, so the, I think that's my take. And that's that's definitely the argument for that. I'm back and forth. I mean, like my opinion baseball yesterday. Drafts, is, oh, sorry to cut you no, off. No, you're but right. Baseball drafts, I know where you're going. I mean, yeah, there's some drafts where it's like you have Bryce Harper, number one overall, make it's a slam dunk. But that's not usually the case. I think more often than not, like 70, 80 percent of the time, the drafts, there's like five, six, seven dudes, whether they're in high school. It's like, how do you really project that? And like, think about it. In 2016, I'll make the example of Philadelphia. They bottomed out in 15, 16. They had the 16 first overall pick. They picked this Mickey Moniak kid, high schooler, this prep guy. He's like he had like 16 home runs in high school. I'm like, that's not I don't know. It's there's there's certain things where baseball drafts are completely fickle and you might just land on the next, you know, all-star caliber perennial all-star at the eighth or ninth pick. And guess what? It's, I don't think there's, it's not like the NFL or especially the NBA where picking in the top three is such a premium. I think the MLB is not really skewed to that direction where you can pick eighth or ninth and it's, you're still, it's, it's such a long triple, you know, going through rookie ball, single a double a triple. It's a very long progression and it's not, there's a bunch of busts. Dudes bust all the time in the top 10. They do. It, it, it's the ultimate crapshoot draft more so than any of the other professional sports leagues. I think like hockey, you'd probably put second. Hockey's a lot like yeah. that where it's like who, who knows. Everyone said that this year Lafreniere was going to be like Wayne Gretzky, and he's really struggled this first year. I mean, not burying the kid, but it's like you just don't know. I The, the flip side, the other argument to what you're saying, the argument against it would be, Half of these guys, more than half, are on one-year deals for the Tigers. So it's like, are they going to be here next year? Most of them won't be. Yeah, Grossman on a two-year deal, I guess. But there's a slew of like kind of one-year, you know, Scope and and Mazzara, and it's it's a long list of guys that might not even be here. So who knows? I mean, I I do think there would be something to be said for both avenues. No pun intended. <laughs> I, I I don't know, like how long can you be embarrassing? And this team has been embarrassing for half a decade. But whatever they do this year. Look, we all know what they should do, what's been promised to us. We have been told for almost five years now, I mean, going back to 2017, that they will spend when the time is right. I think you and I, I get the sense, agree that next year the time is right. you got all these young guys coming up. You're going to have either Jack Leiter, Kumar Rocker, Jordan Waller, somebody else in the system next year. The time's going to be right next Mm -hmm. year to spend. Uh, Yeah, but also the time was right. 
three months ago. Uh, I agree, but it's <laughs> we're, we're we're what that, that stake is I'm, well done next well, year. That, that's that's what we can't you know we can't go back and change history. So that's but it's uh, definitely time, if not mm, past, especially time. this off season with with how the COVID and how the pandemic affected the market. There were some yes. really good bargains to be had. So I am a little bummed that we didn't at least try to get whether it was Springer, whether it was I think Bauer would have been overpriced, and I don't like spending that much on arms anyway. But I mean, come on, man, put 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 money on the table for 140 million for a hitter like that yeah that's a bargain and, and that's the point so you, you i mean you're kind of in the tony paul camp where like the time was this year and they already missed that boat i was more in the like look i was okay holding off for one more year i i, I mean he better save that means he better be saving for next year that's it, the point it, it better be saved for 2022 if, if we you know we're sitting here it's the beginning of april if we sit here they go through the winter meet let's assume a normal baseball season normal off season covid dies down we're all vaccinated you know da, 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 da. you're at the winter meetings and you don't come up with Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa. There is a, a conga line <laughs> of, of those shortstops. Of those shortstops. Oh I mean, God. Lindor just came off, but there's there's three or four. You know, I, I don't I consider Javier Baez a step down from those aforementioned three, but would still be a good addition for this team. He'd be an upgrade over a lot of what they have. You just put Castro at second or whatever you're going to do. But if they come out of those winter meetings, they come out of January. If there's any straggler free agents out there, and they don't land one of these guys. I'm going to fucking lose my mind and it's going to be well past the time to have a vote of no confidence in Chris Illich. So I'm going to put it to you this way. Will they spend? And if they do, will it be someone that we're pleased with? Um, so my big concern with the whole, will they spend and who will it be? And my big concern is that it's going to be Verlander and they're going to overpay him. Hopefully, I mean, the Tommy John surgery, Hopefully that depresses his price more than it would have been. Um, but I think Verlander, I think it's both sides want a reunion. I think he wants to come back if, you know, and I think it would be a good move for ownership to have. The Tigers think tickets. he's coming back. Yeah, and I know, I know that's, you know, there's some internal rumblings with it too. So there's definitely a smoke to that fire. And But I'm scared that that will be, like, the move, and they can market that as, like, guess what? We've got JV back. But, dude, he's got, like, 37, 38 years old coming off Tommy John. This isn't – that's not a move to, like – Look at the trajectory of the team. This isn't like Pudge, Maglio. These aren't those types of moves. We need we need a dude that's like you said, Corey Seager, uh, Trevor Story. I, I one of those dudes, one of those shortstops. One of I mean, there's a, it's a free agent class bonanza next year. Get one of them. That's the, the that's that's what you have to do. And if you like, I think you said if you don't do it, that's disappointing. If you don't, because then there's a problem with Chris Illich and I, but I don't trust him. So I don't, I don't trust that he'll do it. I don't it. either. I don't, after what he did with district Detroit. And uh, I mean, the guy's just a proven, he's just a proven fraud. He's not, he doesn't follow through. So why would he say, why, why would we, why would we trust him? Well, we have nothing to base it on. And the point I've made again and again and again with Tony Paul and Chris Castellani and now you is, this entire faith in the Tigers eventually blossoming into what we think they're going to be is based on two pillars. One, that Chris Illich will keep his promise to spend. No evidence of that. In fact, a lot of evidence to the contrary. <laughs> the aforementioned District Detroit, that was a big whiff. That's the one pillar. That's a very shaky, that's a pillar of sand as far as we know. The other pillar is, okay, who is making the decisions if that pillar is in place? Let's say that pillar is cement. Chris Illich has the checkbook ready. Mm -hmm. Tigers, go spend. You, they're going to make all the bids they want. Who's writing those checks or who's making those offers? 
Alvia, who we have seen one time with a blank checkbook, one time, and what did that deliver? Mike Pelfrey on a two-year deal, the most asinine multi-year deal in the history of the state of Michigan. Just made, Not the worst contract, but just it made absolutely no sense. Two years for a guy that nobody else wanted. The guy had no offers. Like, no, no offer, Bidding no multi. Against them, bidding against yourself. Bidding against himself. That was a horror. Mark Lowe, a little bit cheaper, horrible deal. A guy that was bad for three years in a row, had the typical reliever year where they have that, you know, 322 ERA for one year and somebody overpays him. We walked right into that trap. And then, of course, that same offseason, the worst contract in the history of Detroit sports, Jordan Zimmerman. So we have seen. Alavila one time with the money that is supposedly promised. So you got to go through two doors, and they're very narrow. Chris Illich has to spend. Alavila has to spend wisely. They yep. are over two as far as I'm concerned in any confidence. Is that a fair assessment? Very fair. And I will say you have to trust that now that we have Hinch, now you've got some other guys in the front office, some higher you know, higher IQ, hopefully guys that are making smarter, more analytical decisions on the scouting. Hey, we're going to intern the Jordan Zimmerman. That was just a ridiculous. I think at the time you could say that's too much money for a pitcher that, you know, he was solid, but he's going the wrong direction. He was in, yeah. And it wasn't a good signing at the time. You could make the argument. It was a bad signing. And, but you know, it's one of those things too. I just, like I said, with baseball, like the draft too, you know, it, it, there is luck involved. So hopefully maybe this time that Avila swings, he hits. So Mike Pelfrey. Come I'm not, on, man. I'm not, Mike I'm Pelfrey. not optimistic. That wasn't like a bad luck. That was a predictable disaster. I'm not optimistic, but I'm going to say, hey, maybe the maybe the ball rolls. Um, the fight, favor, favorable signing for Avila if he you know, does I get that so. open checkbook. So, I, I, you know, I'll give, I'll give uh, – Cautious optimism. That's the best. But way you I are. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to like burn your Tigers gear, but you are. No. Your your confidence is completely shot. Yeah. If they don't come out of this next offseason with a serious haul, is that? Fair? Yeah. You need. I want like one top tier guy and like, marquee, marquee, like literally like a top five free agent. You're yeah. Just one of the top five dudes, and then like two guys in like that ten to twenty, ten to twenty five range. We deserve it. Yeah. I'm sorry. We've you, waited. There's no excuse, and you know, Mickey's coming off the books, and I think. Two or two three more years, years? Two more years after He's this. not going to vest into yeah. those late season because he's not going to be in the top MVP, you know, top 10 MVP, whatever the contract says, stipulates. But that kind of come off the books so you can look forward to that. And once that money is off, then should it should be just, hey, you know, especially with the division we have, a team like Cleveland, they're downsizing their small market. Kansas City's never going to really spend. Minnesota's never going to spend. The only team you really have to compete with money-wise is Chicago. And they're, I mean, we know how good they're set up. So guess what? Start spending. Get up to, the, like, we've got the prospects. We've got the pedigree of these dudes. Start the international pool. That is another thing that we need. You know, that's another conversation we could have deeper. But, hey, you know, Chicago White Sox, is, that's the barometer right now. Oh, the, the AL Central, the Chicago White Sox, that's, that's where you have to get to. And you know my position on the international free agents or lack thereof. Like, I, I don't get why, like, the Tigers are never in on these guys. It's a little confusing how the money works because it's like you look at the allotment and it'll be like, the Detroit Tigers have the 24th most free agent, international free agent money. It's like, how? <laughs> we the don't spend any of it. We never spend it, and the team stinks. It's a broken system, but somehow we're, um, like, we're, we're, we're never in on the bidding. I have, no clue how, I have no clue how it works either, so I'm not going to pretend like I do. But I do know that the guy we signed a couple of – 
two or three months ago this offseason is like 17 years old kid, but it's apparently like the best one we've ever gotten. I've heard that. I I, I, I don't even I, I looked exactly at his name yesterday. Mean. I forget his name and it's out of the top of my head right now, but apparently this kid's like supposedly the best one the Tigers have ever like Well, they're overdue. We'll see. It, you know, it's like you get like Yohan Moncada, it's just like you write a check. It's like you don't even have to even stink and get the draft pick. It's just like you just buy this like kid. Like it's just it's, it's phenomenal. Yep. They're never in that boat. I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. I am skeptical, but I I think like in a vacuum in any given offseason, it's unreasonable to be like, I expect my team to get one of the three marquee guys. I expect my team to spend $158 million in free agency this year. In a vacuum, that is unreasonable. You can't do that every year. Even the Mike Illich Tigers had a couple years where they were more modest spenders. But this is no vacuum. We have been promised for half a decade, just wait. Yep. Just wait a little longer. When the time's right, we're going to get out the checkbook. That's what we were promised. We have been very patient. I think the fan base has been extremely positive about this direction and patient. Enough's enough. You owe us one of those big offseasons, so I hope it happens. I want to transition to this. We talked about it a little bit before the show. I'm a big fan of Mike Valeni. I think he's the best broadcaster in the city. I think I, I was an early buyer of his stock. Let's get that up front. His new partner, Rico Beard whom I believe you sat with me with him at a Michigan-Michigan State basketball game. Didn't we sit with Rico? Weren't you yeah, there? Yeah, Ann day? Arbor, right? Yeah, yep. I, he was very nice. I, no problem with Rico personally. But anyone that listens to Mike Valeni that heard him yesterday talking about the shot clock, look, I, I just, I'll set it up like this. I'm tuning in to hear Mike Valeni and Rico to a lesser extent talk about the Michigan-UCLA game, and we'll get to that loss and all that in a minute. And they go into a conversation about the shot clock. The, this is like one of the biggest snafus. Rico Beard is positioned as this, and you'll hear it in one of the clips, I guess positioned as like one of these college basketball experts. Valeni defers to him <laughs> as like the guru. And we are, and this isn't just, again, like a vacuum. This is the, the theme of the show since he joined a little under a year ago was like, He's going to bring that solid college basketball presence. Rico Beard had no idea how long the shot clock is in college basketball, which I like, is that a mundane like detail to you? The shot I mean, clock, how did, long did he, it is. Did he forget that it moved down to 30? Did he still think it was 35 or did he just have no idea? He thinks it's 35. Okay. I, that was, that's still unforgivable. It's not like that rule has been changed for like half a decade. What? No longer than yeah, that. Like, it, well, I think it's about half a decade, but yeah, whatever it is. Five or six years. Even if they changed it last year. That's unacceptable. Your You're a job, professional. This is your job. Yeah. Your job is to watch. Don't you see the clock starts at 30 every day? It, it's not some like mundane rule. Oh, like what? What's the the clutch and grab rule that you might see once every five games come up or something? The shot clock is every possession of every game. You see that clock set to thirty like two hundred and eighty-seven times. How so, he reacts when it's like an offensive well, we'll, rebound? It goes to twenty. We cut it up, so we'll start here. This is the, right. just we we did it in a couple parts. I want you to react to this because look, I didn't know how we were going to use this. I didn't know if I wanted to do like a you know, our solo show off the curb and just like make fun of this. I didn't think it warranted an entire show, but I had to share this. This is just hilarious. So let's play the first Rico beard cut. Absolutely hilarious. I really do think we should look at lowering the shot clock. It's not right that teams like UCLA are allowed to do what they do or Loyola. But can you really force teams to, to play an upbeat style if that's not what they want to do? No, but I mean, I could take five seconds off the clock and see what it results in. Isn't it? Wait, are we at thirty or thirty-five? 
Are you? You are the college ball meister. How? No, no because like I said, when no. it goes out of bounds, it gets reset to, to 20. No, it so. goes to 20 on the OB. Right. Oh, oh, Rico, that is. Ugh. I might take away your expert card there. That oh, is okay. just preposterous. Okay, let me dive into the mind of someone that's caught in something. When he says, well, uh, out of bounds, it goes to 20. That's someone that doesn't want to admit that he just fucked up and he's not sure what the shot clock is. Am I wrong there? Like, Oh, yeah. He well, was... What does the out of bounds 20 second have to do with anything? It's nothing to do with the shot clock. Funny that I because I hadn't heard that clip before. It's funny I brought that up before. But, um, yeah, that's pretty bad. I mean, if you're especially if I mean, this is your job this is your occupation, man. Your job is to watch sports, analyze them, talk about them the next day. Uh, dude. What what do you that was a bad and look it's like <laughs> that's brutal. <laughs> so there's some people that like hate Rico Beard. I don't like hate Rico Beard, but I just I was I was listening to this live. I immediately texted Ben. I don't know, Ben, the great and powerful Oz on the other side of the wall, if you want to chime in. Like I texted you like that minute to start pulling this for the show. Did I not, Ben? Yeah, I, I was I was flabbergasted. Like I, you know, I I would say I almost drove off the road, but that would be hyperbole. But I was quite surprised. Let's play the second clip because this gets worse and worse. By the way, that was not we're not like picking on him. It wasn't like a snafu or a misspeak. He just keeps going and going with this. Play clip two, please. I can live with the thirty-five second shot clock if you did three things to me. One, you added a six foul so that you don't have the auto benching and you don't have people fouling out because I don't want to sit here and watch backups. The other, you can move the ball with a timeout to half court and, and inbounds it. I, I think you, if you do you, those you may two get things. to 30. You may get to 30. I don't think you get to 24 seconds. I, I wanted it 24. I said you want it, but you may get 30. That well, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm, it's my fantasy. I, Vladdy almost doesn't know how to react. Like he already called him out earlier in the segment. And it's like he's still going with the, like, look, we all know it's 35. You may get 30. We may be able to negotiate it down to 30. This is something that comes up every possession, every time somebody scores or there's a turnover, anything. 30 seconds is like big in HD on cool. your screen. How do you not know? I want to give well, at least one just a, a mathematical part that just completely contradicts. He said, I can live with 35 if you up it to six fouls. But that means that there's less possessions per game. So if the shot clock is higher, you would want, you know, you don't need the, the foul That's limit to be lower. That's a good point, I didn't even think about if that. There's, think about it. If the shot clock gets lowered, like the NBA, of course you want there's more possessions, more chances for fouls, more shots going up. What is he talking about? He's an idiot. I was so... That's why I don't listen to 97.1, because I'm like, <laughs> that just makes people... The thing is, people listen to that, and they'll like... that. That's what a lot of this Metro Detroit area listens to, and they'll regurgitate that to their friends. Oh, it's the top-rated show in the state. Dude, like, sports this is show. the issue. This is why our area... This is why there's so many dumb sports fans, because they listen to that as their... That's their voice of reason. I just... I can't believe, like... Look, I mean, I am... This is not my job. This is what I do when I'm not in class or at my real job. Rico, I don't think is married, but has I know he has no kids. This is his job. It's not like his hobby that he does at nine o'clock at night with his friends drinking scotch. Like, if I can know with ease what the shot clock is, how does Rico Beard not know? And just the fact that he keeps doubling down is hilarious. We'll play one more clip because this is just, this is he try he he realizes he fucked up, but he still he knows he <laughs> fucked up in some way, but he still as he sits there thinks that the shot clock in his head is still at 35 seconds in the NCAA, which it's obviously what? not. It's 30. So he tries to make an excuse for, 
oh, this is why I misspoke earlier, but don't worry. I know it's 35 seconds. Play uh, clip three there, Ben. What a clown. They're actually thinking about the 30, which is why I got confused because it was a conversation I had with a coach, and he was telling me why 30 should be the best thing. So I was like, do it. So, yeah, so he's taking it to the competition committee. And then on the reset, I don't want 20. On the reset, 15. This guy just said that he spoke to a coach that was going to take this proposal of the competition committee. The coach that he spoke with supposedly agrees. You know what, Rico, you're right. We should make it 30. I'm going to take it to the committee. How did, there's no way this conversation actually took place because I assume an NCAA coach would know the shot clock is already 30. Why would an NCAA coach go to the competition committee to propose something that is already in place? I mean, he's just pulling that out of his ass, right? Am I crazy? Is my read uh, on this The wrong? conversation could have happened, but like eight years ago. It's so funny because he's like, he, he just fucked up so royally. And instead of just being like, oh, yeah, like, my bad, he like, Vonnie told him. He told him that he was wrong, and he's, he's still, still kept, he's still spinning the wheels. He might, maybe he was just having a rough day, or no, I don't, that's, that's bad. Yeah. I've had some rough yeah. days. I didn't forget the shot <laughs> clock. I mean, I, if I have a rough day, I may say something mean or something, but I'm not going to like forget the shot clock. No. You know, or maybe you have like a, you know, we all have brain farts, but that was like, this was going on for like it's 10 continuous. minutes. That's, a, that's not just like a one, oh, a, you know, misspoke. He said something wrong. That's like, Continue. He firmly believed that it was 35 this entire time. Right, There's but no doubt in my mind. I talked to a coach on the competition <laughs> committee. He's going to be proposed. He agreed. We should go to 30 seconds. I mean, like, those guys, they have the luxury of going off air and going on, you know, they got their commercial breaks. At that point, you used to be like, you know, they take their headphones off. You know, what the fuck? They did. Doing? They came back <laughs> and they went right into UCLA. And that's where we're going now. I had to, look, there was no like organic way to bring that up. But I, I, I had to react to that because, look, I'm a lot nicer than I used to be. I've really toned my act down. I'm trying to be good. I really am. But I am not going to completely see ground as a media critic and have a, a professional sports broadcaster on the number one rated sports show in the state, a top 10 rated sports show in the country, have no clue what the shot clock is in the NCAA, and he is purported to be a college expert. That's his job. That's what he did in Lansing for years prior. He's not going to get away with that. I'm sorry. You're going to get made fun of. I've said stupid shit. You should make fun of me if I do. If I ever say anything that dumb, please cut it up. Make fun of me. It'll be well-deserved. On the topic of UCLA, Michigan, look, I, nothing really stun, stuns me anymore in college basketball other than maybe like the 16 over the one that we saw with UVA and uh, UM, UMBC two years ago. I'm rarely shocked in March Madness. So I would say whatever one level below shock, stun, whatever you want to call it, is is what I was for the Michigan-UCLA thing. I really felt comfortable saying Michigan was going to win that game. You know, you saw it, you watched. We were both, I think, rooting against Michigan, and we'll get to the, whether or not that's taboo in a minute. <laughs> but, like, I was, I was stunned or a degree below stunned. Where were you at with that? Uh, it was, you know, it was a weird college basketball game. I mean, obviously the final score, 51-49, that kind of tells the story of just how that sloppy and just, maybe Michigan was cold. It was one of those games, um, they, they couldn't get it together and they never seemingly got it together. Franz Wagner was completely off. Um, you know, they weren't feeding Dickinson enough. Uh, just no one could make a shot, just brick after brick after brick. And it was honestly from both sides. Like besides Ju Zhang, UCLA couldn't do anything. I mean, oh. so it was one of those games where... It was just an ugly, gross college basketball game, and 
Uh, unfortunately, Michigan decided to have the timing of their worst night of the season on that night. It was it was weird. And, and here's here's my question for big picture. Are we jumping the gun on the Juwan Howard praise a little prematurely? And I throw myself in this. And I don't know. I, I, I've kicked this around. Like, he had a great year, won the conference, you know, for whatever disappointment that UCLA loss was. I always look at kind of like three things. I want or four things. I want to win the Big Ten regular season. I want to win the Big Ten tournament. I want to go to the Final Four. And I want a national title. Like, those are kind of like the four boxes I want to check. And they checked one of the big ones. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's they won the Big Ten. That's wonderful. Bully for them. They have the number one recruiting class coming in next year. I'm not going to shit on Juwan Howard by any means. But I am wondering. He's being called John U. Bacon. Quasi. I would say he's an acquaintance of the show. He's not a friend of the show until he actually shows up. But John U. Bacon said, Juwan Howard is the best coach in college basketball. And it got... 7,000 likes and 522 retweets and everyone's fist bumping them digitally, right? I'm wondering if we're jumping the gun. I, you know, it's just, I have to see something in March Madness more than you go to the Elite Eight and lose as a huge favorite to a playing team. I just, I, I need to see like a Final Four before I'm ready to put them in that upper echelon. Is that fair? Definitely fair. Uh, I think you could, those, the, his first two years are the best first two years you can probably have outside of I mean yeah you could have hit the final four this year and then it's just like that's icing on the cake but the way that the program is moving especially from you know two years ago the the popular opinion wasn't like like the Valenti quote from two years ago of just calling bombing the hire just he hated it and a lot of I think a lot of people kind of shared that like this isn't going to work the the way the beeline had the program um I'm in the thinking of that that Juwan's he's building he's building something really good and it's scary for us as Michigan State guys because I think Michigan um they're on the up and up like you said he got the number one recruiting class um you know he's got NBA connections which is a big thing right now with a lot of these these big recruits is like hey Juwan's got NBA credibility as a longtime player and then he was an assistant under Eric Spolstra um he's got connections obviously you know it's through through who people he knows, the grassroots, and he that you you've got that the relationship with the AAU crowd, and he's gonna. I think he's as long as he stays and he doesn't have the itch to get back into the NBA as a as a head guy, which who knows what his mindset is in five years from now. But if he stays for a decade, like we're in trouble. That that program's top top ten every year, in my opinion. I think they're just they're set for a while as long they, as he's there. They seem to be set up nicely. And again, it's not a criticism of Juwan. It's more of just like, a, I haven't seen enough yet. No, you, to can't, put you, you can't make those big claims. You can't make those yeah. big claims that early. Yeah, no and it's way. something that he did wrong, but it's like, you know, he just got there. He had a, he won the conference in his, in his second year. Like, it's again, it's not a criticism, but this I think we're like jumping the gun a little bit. Can I see him like make a Final Four? Like, you know, Tom Izzo has eight, like, you know, and he's been there forever. <laughs> it's not apples to apples. But like, I need to see something in the tournament and really our last impression of them, that it was beyond, like, UCLA did not play a, a good game. It's not like they lost to some team with their, you know, hair on fire and just played their asses off out of nowhere. Juwan coached a, a bad game in, in my estimation. It's the shiny new toy syndrome. Like, it's he's it's a second year. I mean, and obviously last year there was no there was no resolution to that season, so you couldn't they really. Weren't, they weren't good last year. They weren't though. good. Finished but, in the bottom half of the conference. Right, they weren't good, but it's just like, that's, but that's my point is that it's kind of, 
forgotten. Like that 2020 season is just kind of like a blur. So yeah. it's like this was, I mean, he won AP coach of the year. I think he got announced today. Um, I mean, it's a shiny new toy. Like it's the, it's the, the, there's everything's looking up and it's just, hold on, man. It's been two years. You can't make like John U. Bacon said, you can't say number one best coach in the he said country? he's the best coach in the country. That's said, wild. On, you got you to start. To, I mean, until Coach K or Izzo, I mean, now Roy just retired. But, I mean, until those guys start uh, retiring and yeah. you can't make number one proclamations Even, like even if Juwan Howard, and I said this at the time when he said that, I said, even if Juwan Howard won the national title, he yeah. still wouldn't be the best coach in the country. No, Jay Wright, Coach Cal. Yeah. I, there's, <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. Krzyzewski? No. I yeah. mean, you know, Izzo? I mean, it's like, okay, you each have one national title and you're seven Final Fours behind. You need longevity, but that's the point. I just, I just we're jumping the gun a little bit. But I will say, with all that said, please, Pistons, somebody, get them out of our hair. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I do have a lot of respect for him, and he's going to be a problem. And I think he's yep. going to be there longer than Tom Izzo will be. Um, yep. You know, I just I think Izzo's probably done when his son leaves in two years. That's, that's my feeling. That's my thought, too. And that's what a lot of the rumblings are from a lot of people, you know, closer in the program is that, yeah, he's kind of waiting for his son to graduate. And that's so that's what, in 23, his son graduates? He's got two more years. Yeah, two more years. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll, we'll dip on them in a second. One more thing on this Michigan thing. Look, this is not a Michigan-specific attack. We talked before the show, we're both Spartans, but we both think our fan base can be off the rails, too. People are crazy. Fans are awful always. And, look, I'm friends with the guys at Woodward Sports there in Birmingham. I've had a few of them in my show. I'm having, hopefully, another one, Corey Woods, in uh, sometime next week. Not going to shit all over them. I like what they're doing. Let's get that out of the way. But they had a brutal show yesterday. These are, they're all Michigan fans. That, that network, like, it's, it's seriously lacking in Spartan flavor. <laughs> it's called Spade a Spade. They're, they're in the tank for Michigan. And I think they sort of captured a little bit of the attitude. I, I don't get why Michigan State was top of mind for so many Michigan fans in the immediate aftermath of that train wreck loss. So we're going to play this clip. So this is. Again, I'm friends with these guys. I like these guys, respect these guys, all that, you know, get those caveats out of the way. But they had a rough one yesterday. They open up the Morning Woodward Show, Woodward Sports Network, and they spent about four minutes yesterday talking about how disappointing the Michigan loss was to UCLA. And then it, out of nowhere, from the top rope, becomes a Michigan State referendum. It becomes a Michigan State discussion. No one knows how. No one knows why. I was watching it live. I ended up calling in the show. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Made no, what, Michigan State's the topic somehow. So we pulled this. Play this clip, please, Ben, so that people can know what the hell I'm talking about, and then we'll react to it. Y'all lost in the playing game in the month of Izzo. Here's my thing, Corey, to make you feel a little bit better. If you lose to a team... And then later on, cheer for that team just because you lost to them. Softest shit in the world. So go ahead. Be a, be a proud Michigan State fan because the team you lost to beat your rivalry four weeks later. Spart- Spart- Good job. You Spartans made it. need to worry about Tom Izzo not grabbing his players as opposed to what Michigan doing losing in the Elite Eight. Y'all, y'all, didn't, even, y'all didn't even sniff the tournament. Okay, there's like 17 things wrong with that. First of all, 
you don't beat your rivalry. I think I assume he meant beat your rival. We were let's break this down piece by piece. We were told just there, just now, that you are not supposed to, as a Michigan State fan, root against Michigan. That it was uh, taboo in some way to root for UCLA, root against your rival. Is that is that not what he was saying? Am I reading that wrong? I don't, they're kind of talking in circles because at first he was like, "Oh, we're uh, you can't if you root for the team that beat you, that's the softest shit." I'm just like, what do you mean? "Softest shit." It's we were not yeah. we were not rooting. Look, okay, so because UCLA happened to beat Michigan State in the first four, because they conquered Michigan State, it's somehow soft to root for them against your rival. And it, it, look at this. The best example, we don't have to go that far back. It was the last tournament played, 2019. Michigan State plays in the Final Four against Texas Tech in uh, your dad's home state of Minnesota. They lose. Everybody, uh, Michigan Twitter, as it's known, is doing uh, the Macarena, celebrating. And they had lost to Texas Tech the week prior in rather embarrassing fashion, no less. And uh, was any member of Michigan State Spartan Nation saying, you can't root for Texas Tech. That's tacky. They beat you. I mean, it's ridiculous. Am I making that up? I mean, is that not what happened? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it seems like one of those things where a couple, I, it's, I bet it came from a little bit of both sides where there were some annoying Spartans that were well, like, ha you lost. It's like, okay, that's my take is like, hey, we lost two weeks ago. The guy on the show said four weeks. It was two weeks ago. I was in here watching the game with you two weeks ago from tonight. But you know, Farm bet loss. That was rough. Brutal, brutal, brutal night. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, here's the thing. It, what are you going to do? You're going to sit there and just, like, root for it, – it's their rival. Of course I'm not going to root for them. But um, where I was going with this is that, you know, there's no reason why it's, like, a it's, – it's not taboo. I don't get why it becomes – then that's Michigan State. They instigate it. The Michigan State Twitter comes in with a little jab, a little meme. That's like, shut up, guys. We lost two weeks ago. We lost. We lost. We got embarrassed. We blew the game. We were winning. We lost in overtime. We're out of the tournament. We had a bad season. Michigan's a one seed. Just you don't. It's not our time to speak. And that's my whole thing with being. A, and I, I was probably like that, like a younger as a 20, 21 year old college student, where I would start yapping. But now that I'm older, you grow up, and it's like. There was no excuse for our side to ever instigate. And then also Michigan, but then this thing, anybody that barks from our side, it just, it turns into, the, I'm sure their side was, it's, they got a little too sensitive. It's a food fight at the Catholic school cafeteria. Look, I have a very consistent standard, and I am old school, and this is what everybody should adopt, not because I'm a genius, but because I'm right about this. When you play, you play not just to win the game in college sports. You play for bragging rights throughout the season. Basketball is a little different because you can play two, three, even four times in one season. But let's keep it to football really quick. Michigan, Michigan State, if you win that game, Paul Bunyan goes on to your campus, goes into your trophy case. The other fan base should shut the fuck up. For mm-hmm. 365 days, you don't talk shit. You don't talk about, well, we won three of the four. Prior. No, you shut up. And the other fan base, conversely, gets to shit on you for that year. And if they win again, they get to shit on you for another year, and you have to shut the fuck up for another 365 days. And I have applied the standard consistently both ways. I don't like when Michigan State is chirping Michigan. We had Michigan State fans chirping Michigan after last year's football game when we lost in Ann Arbor by like 700 points. It's a terrible look. I'm very old school. Basketball, again, is a little different. They technically split. 
But Michigan, went a lot farther, had a much better season, shut your mouth. But that clip yeah. that we played, that's not about whether or not Michigan State fans should talk at all. It's like they were saying it was tacky, it was soft to, to root against Michigan. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit there with pom-poms rooting for, for Michigan. I mean, they'll Bizarre. Just, no, that's weird. I don't get – it's understand, It's understandable that if the, if the you know tides were turned and we were in the Elite Eight and they were out in the tournament earlier to the same team, I wouldn't fault them for rooting against us. It's a part of the rivalry. It's part of the fun of the rivalry. I don't get why – well, people just get so sensitive, butthurt. It's like, guess what? It's Michigan, Michigan State. This is the this is what I love about it. I love the you know going at each other. No, it's, it's like good. It's good. It's healthy. It'd be weird if we weren't rooting against them and vice versa. Well, you, the, it's just the fact that they played they played the same team in the same year in 2019. Like in literally the last tournament because 2020 was canceled. We have the precedent for this, and it's like. And, and by the way, we're not just picking a winner in sports. Like I I heard. And so I should say, I saw that opinion on Twitter multiple times where it's like, oh, you know, they beat you. Shouldn't you sit this one out? It's like, no, I'm going to root against you. I shouldn't be talking shit about you, but I'm going to root against you. I'm going to be happy you lost. And it's like, where are these Michigan fans from 2019 that had no, no interest at all in rooting against Michigan State in 2019 in the last tournament? That I have a, a lot of Michigan fans in my circle. My The best man of my wedding's a Michigan guy. All these fuckers were rooting against Michigan State in the Final yeah. Four, and they should have been. I didn't begrudge them, so it's just bizarre to me. And they were not the only ones, but that was like a prominent opinion. The lesson, as always, is college fans are stupid. Mm. Fans, sports fans in general are dumb. And, I, look, I'm hated by both fan bases. <laughs> I'm told I'm too hard on Michigan State. You know, it's a, just have a com- consistent applied standard. And, you know, I mentioned Mike Valeni earlier how much I like him. Mike Valeni... Get, gets called like a Spartan homer by Michigan fans. The guy shits on Michigan State all the time. It's like, just apply a consistent standard. That's all I ask. So let's finish with Michigan State. Generally, I mentioned it earlier. I think Tom Izzo's done after his son leaves. Do you agree? He's just two more years. He's gone. Probably, and I think that you can kind of see. I think Cassius Winston masked a lot of – we've had some deficiencies, man. We've had, I mean, we've had big talent. The, let's say let's put it in the last five years after I mean then the Denzel Valentine 2016 team that lost to Middle Tennessee State let's start like kind of after that I mean you have Miles Bridges come in you've had Jaron Jackson the following year and those teams were pretty loaded like you had some good young guys with a couple you know mixed in with a couple veterans um, McQuaid I think was a junior and those teams disappointed and the issue was, is like you're not playing. You're having an issue playing like your most talented guys, Jaron Jackson. You're having an issue with rotations, like this year especially. You couldn't figure out a rotation. I'm not going to COVID. You can't use COVID as an excuse because guess what? Every team in the freaking country had to deal with it. So I'm not going to use that as an excuse, and it's not fair. So I'm not going to let him. I'm not going to let him off the let him off the gate for that. So that's my kind of my take is that he's kind of lost his fastball. I still love the guy. And he's not someone I'm not going to say I want him out because I'll never. It, we're we're a better program with Izzo. The chances that any any coach that comes in after him are probably going to be in a worse place. But it's like maybe the time is coming up. Two years from now, we kind of start looking towards whoever you know the succession plan. So well, I disagree a little bit on. I think we agree on timeline and yeah. You know, I think we're on the same page there. I disagree that he lost his fastball just because, and I was as disappointed as anybody with this season, but just the last tournament that was played before this one, 
Michigan State was a favorite in the semifinal game. It was like a two-point favorite, but still favored. And that game was a one-point game with like three minutes left. I mean, you see the final score is 10, but like that was a one, literally a one-point game. Aaron Henry cuts to the basket. Matt McQuaid misses a wide-open three to tie the game late. Winston, questionable offensive foul call that caught. Yeah, I Look, Texas Tech deserved to win. I'm not saying Michigan State was screwed, but you were like right there. Not last year because that was canceled, but like in 2019. And then 2020, they were either the first or second favorite uh, in Vegas to win the whole thing. So it's like, okay, you were on the doorstep last the last tournament. You were the favorite or co-favorite in Vegas the subsequent year, which was canceled. So it's like I would have loved to see that team last year make oh, a run. No kidding, oh seriously. I, and I, I really, I believed in that team. The, the, the fact that we were denied a Cassius Winston senior year is just like one of the most depressing things in the history of Michigan State athletics. And yeah. that team was peaking at the right time. It really, you can never say, oh, that team would definitely win because it's such, you know, the tournament's so fickle. But as good a chance as anybody, and the odds in Vegas reflected that. So, but the point being. 2019, they were on the doorstep. They're down one point in the final four with three minutes left. They lose. Tough break, but they were right there. Next year, they were the favorite or co-favorite in Vegas to win the whole thing. So, like, you don't have to go that far in the rearview mirror to see this team on the doorstep of not just good things, but national title things. And talking about banners that were won, not almost won, they're coming off three consecutive Big Ten championships, a tough conference to win. So, obviously, this year that streak ended, but... I don't think he's lost his fastball. I'm still a believer in him. I, I think this next year and the year after are going to be it for him. And I think they have a really good chance in both years. We've got to see what happens with the transfer portal. I don't think that has ended. I think there's going to be more movement oh, on, yeah. on Michigan State's end. Tyson Walker is a baller. That guy's going to play his ass off at point guard. I like where they're going. The big question is, and this is the one hovering over the entire program and hovering over really the college basketball landscape, on mass, Imani Bates will finish with Michigan State here. Does he actually show up in East Lansing? I'd say no. I I think six months ago I would have said yes. No, right now it's a no for me. Um, I just you can kind of see that. I think the G League, those guys, Jalen Green, Kaminga, uh, those guys, uh, Dacian Nix. I think I think that might be the route that he goes. I think that kind of got some trajectory. Um, I don't see, and I think the Jade Nakins thing is a huge factor too. That unfortunately, he doesn't want to play with Jade Nakins. Uh, clearly, there's some sort of animosity there. You get ki- kicked him off the you team. You kicked him off the team. There's that. That's more than just hey, we're we're not boys. We're not you know we're not going after it in practice very well. That's there's if you're getting moved out and this guy's going to move to Kansas to start playing college you know high school basketball again. That's a uh, that's a big move. So I I'd say no. I don't, unfortunately, no. Yeah, I mean, if you got to register to vote in a different state, uh, that shit went crazy there, and that's what happened. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We had Matt Shook in on our last show last week, and really uh, talented guy, smart guy, writes for PlayMichigan.com, a big gambling guy, really all over it. But he did a fantastic documentary called Ipsy's Imani. It's like a 20-minute short covering uh, Imani Bates' first year uh, in high school. He was just this prodigy, and he put it at 20% that Imani comes. So he's not in the camp of like, there's no way he comes. He thinks there's a real chance. And he agreed with me. We don't think that decision has been made yet. I think like you could crawl into Imani's head. I don't think he knows what he's doing. Oh, yeah. It's definitely open. It's just, 
it really depends on what he wants to do, whether it's reclassifying, if he plays another year in high school, if it, there's a ton of factors that go into it. And like, I think they're waiting on news on if the NBA changes any rules, if the NCAA changes any rules. And there's so much, there's like 13 different factors that are there's a lot playing. in limbo. Yeah, there's a lot in limbo. <laughs> and lot. it's, and you know what, if he shows up for us, great. Cause guess what? We've got like probably a once in a decade type talent that you don't see in college basketball often. And that'll be cool to have. If not, I, I still am confident in the recruits we have coming in. I think we'll still have a good, good, good teams. And um, but it, it would be cool to get that guy just once, like that prodigy. We never get that we guy. Never. It's like we get Miles Bridges, who was like phenomenal, but we yeah. always get like the fifth best prospect. We never get like this best prospect in five years type guy. And like, look, that's a pretty petty complaint. You know, how many people <laughs> would kill for Michigan State's track record. But like, when you have great things, you want greater things. That's kind of the human spirit. And I just, I've always wanted that. You know, Kelvin Torbert was the last like number one guy we got and he was a good role player, but it was kind of a bust for his expectation. Like we've never gotten that Zion, that Anthony Davis, like we've never gotten that guy. And this is that guy, like the Carmelo, like this is that guy. And if he reclassifies, if he's on this team next year with Max Christie and Tyson Walker, they will be Watch the, out. they will be the favorites in Vegas to win. And I don't think it'll be close. I think they'll have like some distance between the second favorite. And I think they will win. I think they'll win the whole thing because I think he's that special. And they're going to be a good team without him. If he, if he class, reclassifies, this is the season we've been waiting for where, look, as good as Izzo's been, you got a lot of those teams that went 24-9, and 23-10, and 10, like, and then they go to the Final Four. Izzo has never really had that like Kentucky run with John Wall and Cousins, even though they fell short in the tournament where it's like, 35 and two like that that could be that team that's a factor of the big 10 though i've realized because the, the thing is the bottom of the sec is so much worse than the bottom of you're right the Big Ten, and that's you're the right. thing the the 11th seed nebraska or 11th seed northwestern that team is like higher quality than just like that shit south carolina or like shit mississippi state team in the sec and even in even the acc is still more top heavy than you realize They're the big 10 from top to bottom I mean, yeah, it sucks. We've, we're going on now year 22 of not winning a championship uh, in the conference, which is a problem. But I think from top to bottom, there's just so much talent. And it's like, it's hard to go 31 and two in, it the, is. in the Big Ten. It's very hard. It's like ridiculously it, hard. But even like the the Jaron Jackson team that lost to Syracuse, I mean, I, I'm pulling this off the top of my head. They didn't go 31 and two, but they were like 30 and five or 29 and five. Like they were pretty close. And like, as tough as everything you said is valid. You're right. Why do we never get a one seed? Why can't that team get a one seed? It's happened a few times. Well, it was 2012 the last time. That's Draymond what I'm saying. Senior the, year. It's pretty been, rare. We've got, I mean, the season, the, you know, the year we went to the final four two years ago, that team should have been a one seed. 2016 with the Denzel team got screwed. Too. That, that team got screwed. That too, was a one had to seed play the resume. best 15 seed of all time. Yeah. Yeah. That Most was Tennessee a one was like seed. the highest Ken Palm 15 seed in like the history of the tournament. And, and that made a difference. That that was the <laughs> definition of a team that just needed to get out of the first game. Like Denzel Valentine had this thing like publicly where he's like, I didn't sleep for three nights. Like I was so nervous and just anxious. And it's like that team just needed to escape that first game to settle in. They would have made a run. Yeah. I, I, I felk you know, talking about favorites in Vegas, they were the favorites in Vegas that year. But, you know, neither here nor there. I don't care how tough the Big Ten is. With this group, again, you always have the, the asterisk, like if there's catastrophic injuries, that changes everything. But if the team's relatively healthy and Imani Bates is on it next year, 
Big Ten. I don't care what conference. Oh, you're they'll in. roll. That's going to be like a thirty-two and two type team. They'll I mean. roll. So that's where they'll be. So I hope it happens. So I want to hit quickly on this. We won't be labor it long. I want to just touch on the Detroit Lions. I talked about it a lot on this show. I like Brad Holmes. I think that was a good hire. I think that probably would have been the hire I would have made hearing some of the names that were being bandied about. Dan Campbell. Uh, look, I know everyone has their T-shirt. I know everyone has their their Twitter memes. Everyone loves them. I like him as a like as a entertaining figure. I like him. I enjoy him. Seems like a good guy. He's fascinating to listen to. It's not like a, oh, I hope the guy burns in hell. Everyone is so fucking defensive all the time. <laughs> I, like I, he's interesting. I like him. I'm rooting for him. I'm a Lions fan. Seems like a great guy. I think they totally botched the hire. I think that I think they blew it. There was nobody else that wanted this guy. Nobody. He had no market. It was a tight ends coach. Everyone says he had head coach experience. The guy was a substitute teacher in Miami <laughs> like seven years ago. The interim coaching is such a hoax. You're not like you're not preparing the roster. You're not setting up a training camp. You're just you're the substitute teacher for a tyrant that just got fired that most of the team usually hates. So it's like it's so easy to be likable and have some modicum of success in that context. Like I don't put any stock into the fact that he was a head, a head coach in quotation marks prior. He's an interim coach, substitute like, teacher. He's a firefighter. The building's on fire, and that's just you're yeah. throwing someone at the... And he's high-fiving everybody. Of course yeah. they're going to like him. They, they, they had Philbin, who everyone fucking hated in Miami. The players hated him. There was like a revolt. So, of course, the, the big, strong, buff, former player tight end, they're all going to love him. But zero stock into that whatsoever. Like none. Like zero. I mean, like literally zero, but nothing into it. To me, he's he's a rookie head coach. I'm sorry, and he had no market. He's a rookie head coach. He is not a schematic guy. He's a rah rah goo goo guy guy guy. Good luck getting into like okay. Let's say best case scenario, the Lions make the playoffs. They shock the world and they get a buy somehow. <laughs> I know it's a leap of faith, but let's say they get there. This guy's gonna have. To scheme against Andy Reid in the playoffs, you know, in a, in a Super Bowl, like let's say, God forbid that ever happens, he's going to have to out-scheme Sean McVay? Like, it's not going to happen. He's not going to out-scheme it. He's no. not at that level. No one considers him at that level. He's a rah-rah gym teacher. Am I just being an ass? Like, I just, I don't buy this. I think it's going to be a flop again. I'm with you on it, uh, pretty much for the same reasons you brought you brought up, and I think we've kind of been in lockstep from from the higher from the jump on this. I, I like Holmes, and I think we've, like you said at the start, we Holmes. I think that he's going to be the guy to build the roster the right way, and you know, accumulate assets, accumulate future draft picks. And I love the the way the way the stuff he's done in two three months since he's been on the job has been fantastic. Um, but Campbell, my thing with him was okay. He can be the head coach, the leader. I would love to see him get strong coordinators and strong assistants. And I don't think that happened. Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn is a joke, a mockery on Twitter all across the NFL landscape. And that's for good reason because it's well deserved. He is one of the dumbest coaches. And that's a lot of his timeout usage, which he won't have to worry about anymore. But I does it doesn't really matter because my whole thing is. It's just it's it's kind of like it's an, it's an indictment on his general intelligence that this guy couldn't figure out how like to work timeouts and just the game. You, this is the, this is the game, the sport that you're around your entire life. This dude played in the NFL. It's like, dude, you got to know how the sport works. And I just don't trust him to be this, you know, outsmart, outwit this, you know, offensive genius to build 
you know, and that's what you need in the NFL these days. You need an offense that you're slinging it around, you're out scheming, you're moving guys in motion, doing things that are just the defense is on their toes all the time. They have no idea what's coming. Anthony Lynn's not going to bring that. Anthony Lynn. I'm sorry, no. It's they want to pound. They want to pound the rock. It's and like it's like the old Rod Marinelli thing. And no, it's like yeah. I just feel like we're reliving the Rod Marinelli experience, where it's like they hire Rod Marinelli. He talks, you know, everyone talks about the shovel and all that. That came like after it was already falling apart. People were fired up in much the same way they are about Campbell when Rod Marinelli was hired. The difference is there was no Twitter, there was no memes. Like it, it wasn't ever going to go viral the way Dan Campbell is because the society wasn't wired for it the way it is now. But yeah. Marinelli got up there. If you can ever find like his quotes, it's, you know, he, he says, uh, good morning, men at his press conference. Like the guy was standing at attention like he was, he was like in the military and he was talking about how they're going to have a, a, you know, can do attitude. And it, it was Dan Campbell 1.0 and Dan Campbell's 2.0 and everyone ate it up. I was, Still a young uh, idiot then, and was a teenager. It was freshman year in college, but I was a, I was a moron, so I ate it up. I was still a lion mm-hmm. slappy back then, and I loved it too. He's tough. He, we're gonna pound you in the mouth. It was a lot of the same verbiage. I mean, it wasn't bite kneecaps, but it was you know we're gonna jam it down your throat. It was a lot of that same lingo. And Rod Marinelli, he's a good line coach, but it, it's a similar thing. The guy had never been a coordinator, just like Dan Campbell. Had never been a head coach, just like Dan Campbell. He was a defensive line coach. It was tough, and I'm going to pound you in the mouth. It, it, it's Rod Marinelli 2.0. And I'm not saying Dan Campbell is going to go 0-16, but I have no reason to buy this. I, I just I don't buy it. I hope I'm wrong. I'm a tortured Lions fan. I hope I'm wrong. I Please be wrong. I don't buy it, though. I think I'm right, and I think you agree. I mean, this, this Dan Campbell thing. And football coaching is, I think, that's, that's the sport. It's the most important sport schematically yeah. that week-to-week where – like Belichick is just yeah, obviously that's the thing. The Patriots, that's you build that dynasty because every single week that team was more prepared, more ready. The they see what the defense is bringing you, and you can adjust to it. And that's the thing you need to have a smart coach. Basketball and the NBA, if you got the talent, if you Steve Nash is just sitting on cruise control right now with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, this All Star team. The NBA, the end. Steve Kerr's been doing it for the last. It, it's not as impactful. In the NBA as it is like NFL coaching is huge football coaching is huge getting guys in motion doing things finding the way the little the little things really matter that's the difference between being at third and nine and guess what you could be a third and two and there's just there's certain little intricacies that you really need a smart high IQ guy that knows the edges and knows how to cut the corners and I don't see Dan Campbell's that and unfortunately I don't see the assistant hires either. I mean, Aaron Glenn, there's been a lot of good reports of him for a defensive coordinator position, but back to Anthony Lynn, there's just no, I don't see Anthony Lynn just out scheming those guys you brought up, you know, the Andy Reeds, the Sean Payton's, the Sean McVay's. Those are the dudes you're competing against. Um, good luck. Well, and look, a uh, transition to this, you know, you know me well, you know, a lot of people don't like you, right? Sure. I'm not, <laughs> just admit it. I, because I, I have strong opinions and I have a big mouth. A lot of people don't like me. I, I have many people that despise me on Twitter. My block list is extensive, and I, I used to be anti-blocking, but you know, I have feelings too. <laughs> but I'm gonna give my haters about 45 seconds of tape here. That's gonna hang me. I, I, I can feel it coming. I, I know I'm gonna regret saying this, but I'm gonna say it anyway because it's what I believe, and I gotta be honest. I don't think. 
I'm going to duck under the table after this. I don't think Jared Goff is that bad. I, I kind of like Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff, he's nothing to work with here. I'm not saying he's going to light it up because there's no supporting cast. Maybe something changes in the offseason with the draft. They get Kyle Pitts. Now you have two elite tight ends. I, that'll change it a little bit. But if they draft Panay Sewell to protect him or Micah Parsons, who's my pick, whatever, like he's going to have nobody. He's going to have nobody. But I actually think he might work out. I'm curious for your opinion on Goff, first of all, and secondary to that, do you think there's any chance this team goes quarterback at seventh overall here in a month at the draft? Uh, I'll go first on Goff. The, co- the issue with Goff is the money you're paying him. You can't pay him. You're not paying him just to be all right. Like you can say, Jared Goff, it's like he could be great. He, he could be great's the wrong word. He could be fine. He could be the 17th, 18th best quarterback and lead you to an 8-8. Eight and eight. But guess what? That dude is costing you a ton of money. His contract is eating up the books. Um, so that's a problem. Drafting a quarterback seventh. If Justin Fields is there, I think you pull the trigger. Oh, I don't. I'm not a Fields guy. Oh, I do. Not a I'm, Fields guy at all. I'm good. I dude, Fields. I think Fields is. I think Fields is. If he slips, there's. I don't know why Mac the Mac Jones buzz over Justin I'm w- Fields. I'm with That's you on that. Wild. I don't like Mac Jones. That's wild. I'm not a buyer, man. I'm with you on that. Uh, Trey Lance. I mean, then again, it's such a fickle argument because it's all guesswork because quarterbacks, it's really, talent's a huge thing. Mahomes is obviously a talented guy, but I think getting into Andy Reid's scheme, sitting out the year, watching Alex Smith, and then you've got Tyreek Hill, you've got all these weapons, and you've got literally the smartest offensive genius probably in the sport ever. I'd say Andy Reid's top two, top three Thank God he finally won a title. He was so underrated. So quarterback, I don't know. I'm not, I I would prefer to kind of wait because that's the thing. When you draft a quarterback right now, that rookie – clock the contract starts so i'd rather start that in like 2022 next year so then you can the way to build the nfl is to have a good quarterback on a rookie deal and take advantage of that savings so you can go spend up on your defense spend up on your o-line whatever it is supporting cast for your young quarterback that's under underpaid quite frankly like russell wilson winning his super bowl in the second season um Mahomes, same deal, working on a rookie contract. It's the biggest advantage in the NFL right now is having a quarterback on a rookie deal. And I would hate to waste that because I think this is a multi-year rebuild project. And if you start that clock right now in 2021 and you get a dude at seventh overall, that's if you get a quarterback, that starts the clock early. And that means you have to be kind of contending by like next year. Like the, you have to have the roster ready by like 2022 to be serious, which I don't think they're ready to do that. This, this is a, this is an overhaul. Bob Quinn and Patricia brought this. We were already at a decent spot. We were riding that mediocrity. And that was the thing. They were supposed to take us to the next level. Guess what? They brought us way back down. The lions are like probably in the bottom three organizations. Why like them, the jets, um, it's a one to four win team next year. They're awful. Yeah. Like the Lions are awful. Like yeah. the roster is terrible. So you're not gonna if you draft the quarterback. Guess what? That means that you're speeding up the clock. You're supposed to. You want to be good by. You want to have a strong defense, a strong weapons. I think 2022 is when you look for a quarterback. I don't care that the class doesn't look as good. Guess what? People like Joe Burrow come out of the woodworks like every year. That's true. Yeah, and I don't, Sam Howell is yeah. gonna be pretty sexy. Yeah, your boy, in the your UNC boy. <laughs> yeah. So. We'll see. I'm I'm kind of on the Micah Parsons train right now. I think he's going to be like Hall of Fame level good at linebacker. I hate taking a linebacker in the top 10 like ever, but I think he would actually be worth it. Kyle Pitts thing, 
I would get a laugh like everybody else would because of the tight end thing. But if you're ever going to make an ass out of yourself, he might be worth making an ass out of yourself taking him because it's like it would be kind of fun to see Hawkinson, who I think is great, and that freak Kyle Pitts is our version of like the non-felonious, non-murderous Aaron Hernandez-Gronkowski uh, combination. But I don't know. We'll see. Who do you think they take? I mean, I think they probably go defense is where I land. Um. Which would be uh, my thought now that we've seen kind of those trades with with the 49ers and the Dolphins and Eagles is that I think four quarterbacks will be gone, maybe five if Mac Jones somehow goes. But at that point, you've basically get you're going to have probably the best receiver available, if not the second best. So I think they might go Jamar Chase if he's there. If Chase is there, if Chase is there. You got to do it. That's you got to take Chase. I want Jamar yeah. Chase. I think that guy is special. Um, so Chase, I, I'm holding out hope for Chase. If not, I. Th- at that point, though, you that means if if the quarter if four quarterbacks go, Chase is gone. You're probably either going to have Waddle, who I'm cool with. Devontae Smith's too small. I'm I'm kind of out on him. I could see him getting injured. Um, I'm kind of in the I, the way that the offseason has gone, letting Galladay go, letting Marvin Jones go. Obviously, that was a foregone conclusion. Yeah, but you need a weapon. So get a dude, and then next year you're going to get the quarterback. Get a, get a guy for him to throw to. Um, I'm fine with the receiver, and I know it's the whole Lions receivers joke from the mid 2000s with Rodgers and Mike Williams and Roy Williams. If it's Jamar Chase, I'm good. Um, with it. I'm fine with it. Yeah, man. The receivers, especially the way the NFL is now, get me the most talented pass catchers that guys running routes out there that you can get, and get as many of them in bulk as you can because it makes mismatch problems for defenses. Look at the Falcons with, I mean, not that they're good, but Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones, and these you want weapons. It's a, it's the name of the game. You want as many. If you don't have weapons, you don't have dudes to throw the ball down to downfield uh, to. It's a problem. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm not a big. I'm kind of anti receiver. I, I but you know, I I just think it's like maybe the ninth most important position. You know, I, I but if Jamar Chase is there, Bruce Feldman of the Athletic had a good piece uh, breaking down some of the prospects the other day, um, yesterday, the day before, and I, I respect Bruce a lot, but he had quoted a scout talking about Jamar Chase specifically. And he was saying like, look, I watched this guy's tape from last year when he actually played and he was going against the best corner on the other team every game. And a lot of these guys ended up being first and second round picks in like the subsequent draft. And he was just destroying them. Like, oh. So it wasn't like he was like, this guy was lining up against first and second round NFL well, corners and was just clowning. All I'll say on Jamar Chase and this is why I'm such an advocate of getting him. So you just watched Justin Jefferson put up like one of the best rookie receiver seasons ever. That dude was the number two guy. Justin Jefferson was number two. And should have been. And should have been because yeah. guess what? Jamar Chase was clearly better than Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson just tore it up this yeah. past season for the Vikings. My, so I, I'm, I'm with Vikings. you. If Chase um, is there, I want Chase. If not, I want Parsons. That's kind of my, where I'm my, at. I'll say I want to say one thing on for drafting a defensive player. If we're going to draft a defensive guy, let's try to trade down. Not that the issue is the market's probably not going to be there. I want to bring up a point, though, speaking of trading down, and just what we watched what happened last Friday with with the Eagles and Dolphins and uh, 49ers. How did How is Bob Quinn so bad last year that you have the number three overall pick and you just let Miami and the Chargers sit there at five and six and not even feel any doubt of pressure that they're just going to sit there and take their dudes, their quarterbacks. They're going to sit there and just take their guys. There should have, that's inexcusable. It pisses me off so much that we squander the opportunity. You have to create a bidding war and make them feel uneasy about 
Tua, Herbert, you make that pick marketable. Come up and grab it. And the fact that we just sat there and drafted Okuda, I'm fine with Okuda if you trade back to six or seven and you draft, and you, guess what? You picked up a first round pick for the following year. You picked up an extra second and third rounder or something yep. like that. I'm fine with that. Sitting there and taking Okuda when that there was two quarterbacks on the board, Burrow was obviously going to be gone, but Tua and Justin Herbert, those Dolphins and Chargers have no excuse just to sit there and just, yeah, we'll just, they're not going to take them. That's inexcusable. You have to create a smoke screen. That is that, that was the biggest thing last year. I remember that offseason. That was, I said, I'm done with Bob Quinn after that. Nobody, and I totally agree with everything you just said, nobody, anybody, nobody anywhere thought that the Lions were even considering a quarterback. Now, look, we're deep enough into the show where I'm not going to have the Tua conversation with you. <laughs> I'm very sensitive. I really like Tua. I'm standing by my man with some hesitancy. But still, I'm still in the, in the foxhole with him. But whatever you think of Tua, good or bad, the entire planet knew that the Miami Dolphins were in the Justin Spiro camp. They thought Tua was the bee's knees mm-hmm. and yet didn't do anything to convince them that you were even considering it. My thing, you could just come out and the, the, they didn't want to hurt Stafford's ego. And then they hid the thing. They Matthew Stafford's our quarterback. Guess what? You can tell him behind the scenes, we're going to do this to make the team better. We're going to just put this stuff out there. But guess what? You are our guy. But in the media, the fact that you come out weeks before the draft and say, nope, Matthew Stafford's our quarterback, that just creates, that just just destroys any leverage you had. It was embarrassing. And, so and look, bad. I, I hate like the Lions slapdick opinion of like, oh, there was no market for the third overall pick. Fuck off. There's always a market <laughs> there's for always. the, there's, oh, like, even if you had traded down to Miami, you're telling me like, okay, even if it was an underwhelming offer, like we dropped from three to five and we get like a second and a fifth or something. I, I still would have taken that over just sitting there at three. Because guess what? You're still getting Okuda. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, you know, it's corner second overall or third overall. What a dumb fucking franchise. But, you know, whatever. We'll see where they land. So that's about it for now. We are going to get into our speed round. You're a big fan of the show. You know the deal. I don't have to tease it. Let's get to the speed round. Let's do it. I'm excited for this one. I I went kind of eclectic with this mix, so (laughs) bear with me. This is kind of an interesting one. I didn't want to do a deep dive on the Pistons, but I wanted to touch on them, so we get them in the speed round. So throw it up, Ben. Let's open it up the speed round now. We're starting here. Your dream Detroit Pistons draft pick in 2021. It's a three- or four-person draft. People talk about Evan Mobley, USC, Kate Cunningham. Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green. Where do you land? Who, who's your dream scenario? You get the first pick. Who are you taking? Uh, before I say who I'm going to pick, I have to preface that in 2012, that would have been, I made the claim that I wanted Michael Kidd-Gilchrist over Anthony Davis. I said that was a huge claim oh, I'm I glad, made. I'm glad I like barely knew you yeah, back then. Yeah, hardly. Yeah, that was, this was you know nine years ago. So, I've, I mean, I was 18 years old, so I, hopefully my scouting is uh, – has improved a little bit, so but take my opinion with a grain of salt. After I tell that story, uh, I, I'm all I'm all in on Cade Cade Cunningham. Uh, from all accounts, I mean, people smarter than me that I read, they said that Oklahoma State team was garbage behind him, and that their talent wasn't there. That that team would would have been in the basement of the Big Twelve. He led them to a four seed, and that I mean, you watch him play. That guy is just another. He, he moves differently. 
He glide. He just you can see that six, seven, six, eight. That's just like that's the NBA. It's positionless. He's not. That's the thing with Cade. He can handle the ball. He can kind of play off ball. Be a you know shooting guard, small forward type. I I, I like Cade. Um, I think Cade Cade Cunningham's the guy. Um, I'm with you. I'm Cade. I, Cade Cade would be my answer too. Just don't like drop way back. Like right now, they have the second best odds to win the first overall pick. Like, but I think it's something like forty-eight percent chance they fall out of the top four or something like that, or top three. Like, you got to stay in that top three and get one of the big guys. That's that's my you know yep. Suggs, Mobley. That's the thing. I'm happy. Okay I'm too. happy as long as you're yeah. And if you finish top three, top four, if you get that third or fourth pick in the lottery, that I just don't want to be six or seven again. I can't, and that can happen. And that's end. where it fall, you you fall oh. off the shelf. And oh, that's that that the Pistons have been doing that for way too long. So this is this is the year we got to get. Got to get a top three pick, and it, there is, it's splitting hairs between like those, like you said, the Jalen Green and the Kaminga and the Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, and yeah. Cade. So some good. really good ones up top. Just don't slide to six, please. Don't yep. go on a stupid like, oh, we won six out of the seven, and we're going into next year with a lot of fire. It's like fuck off, just lose, yep. please lose. Anyway, moving on. Your go-to bar in East Lansing. You can only go to one bar the rest of your life when you go up to Michigan State. What's your go-to bar? Where are you going? Mm, uh, I'm going to go to Harper's. Uh, no, let me take that back. Yeah, please. Terrible answer. Take that back. I, that was the bar I was going to. I enjoyed the most when I was I'm there. I'm talking right. Yeah, I'm talking right like, now. The current. Okay. Yeah, current you're going now. Like of, the old man bar. Tony Paul and I say the peanut barrel, but I don't want to prejudice your answer here. I'm not there. I don't, I don't think I'm at that stage. You're yet. not old enough? I'm not old enough for that. I'll go. Uh, have a good time. I haven't I mean just the last year of not being able to do anything, go anywhere has been tough. I'm trying to think. Dublin I, Square swings du- both ways. A lot was, of alums well, go there. Dublin, I thought Dublin closed. It did? I heard that du- Dublin was going to close. This is before pre pandemic that they were shutting down. Ben, Google, did, did Dublin Square and East Lansing close? That was Dublin. I mean, I love Dublin because it doubles as a restaurant and good, good, good uh, meal and hang out. They there. had a really good uh, Dublin uh, was salmon there. Harper's was like my college bar. I was going to a lot, like junior year. That was a good fun half off Wednesday's place terrible. to go. Um, but Dublin would probably be my answer right now. That's where we went yeah. two years ago. I love Dublin, man. That's depressing. If Dublin I Square think, is gone, you, you just depressed I think me. It's gone. I, I mean, especially after COVID. Um, but I know they they were in talks of shutting down like in 2019. So it says it's still open. Okay. Oh yeah, fuck you, Scott. All right, then I'm ta- then that's my answer. Then take if it's that. still open, that's my answer. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. There. So moving on. Dine right. and take out. Look, this is this topic is forbidden outside of these walls and outside of the context of the show. I don't want to talk about this with you, other than right now, and you know why? Because I don't want to get into it. But for right now. Lamar Jackson, whom I hate as a player, I'm sure he's a great guy. I, I think he is a dud. Yeah. You are the biggest Lamar Jackson fan. I know you and Gorman, our buddy. Just put it in stone. I don't care about always oh, fun. I know he's fun. He's 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 great to watch. He's exciting. He, he's fun. Just, just get to brass tacks. Lamar Jackson, Super Bowl championships. How many, if any? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I'll go one because the odds are stacked against him with career longevity just because of the hits he takes and all the running he does. And also he's coming up to get paid. His rookie deal's over. So the best teams he's best supporting cast he's going to have is probably in the rearview mirror the last two seasons. Um, So I'll say one just because I do think he's that special. And I think the game is 
still he's got like a completely different dynamic to him that def- defenses are still trying to figure out. So I'll say one because he's my boy, and I'm not gonna I'm not leaving him out to hang. With, I'm not saying zero for my boy. Well, little. his poor I'll be- say one. His poor befuddled opponents they can't figure him out are three and one against him in the playoffs. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> we'll move on. Your Detroit athlete bodyguard. Anyone that you've watched play, and you can go into Michigan or Michigan State too. Ben seems to think it's Ben Wallace based on the graphic. So you have, the, the context is this, any Detroit athlete or Michigan, Michigan State athlete that you've personally watched, don't go to like Ty Cobb and his spikes, <laughs> that, you know, if you had to have pal around with you, that they're going to fuck up anybody that's coming up on you. Who are you picking? I will go, Ben Wallace is a great answer, that he's huge, and in person he's just a big dude. I'll go with, I'm trying to think more football because I just think of football dudes. I'll go in Damakong Sue, just an absolute, I saw him in person obviously a few times too, and outside of football, outside of the pads off, um, just a massive guy. I'll take Damakong Sue as my, as my guy. I can't believe when I put that together I didn't even think about him, but that's a great answer. And he's fucking crazy, dude. Yeah, he's so, just like, I mean, he's dirty. He'll fight dirty, too. Yeah, he'll you know, kick he'll fight, a guy when he's down. He'll <laughs> fight dirty, so I, I got yeah. a good guy on my side fighting for me. Yeah, you want a guy that's like strong and a maniac. I would have said Ben Wallace, but I, I'm going to change my answer. That was a great answer. You're right. A great answer. All right, moving on. Non-sports related. Let's be a couple simps here. Celebrity dream date. Uh, you go on a date with any celebrity. Right now, not like, you know, Jennifer Love Hewitt in 1999, which should be mm-hmm. everybody's answer. 2021. Take anybody. Who are you taking? Who's, who's going to Bella Piazzi and Birmingham with you? <laughs> uh, I still have the biggest crush. And she's obviously a little older and she's got kids now. But I'm Blake Lively. is I, I've got the biggest crush on Blake Lively. Blake Lively. She's, nothing wrong with that. Not fantastic. my pick, but yeah, she's, you know, nothing wrong with Blake Lively. All right, cool. We'll yeah. roll with that. All right, this will be the last one. Little bit of like a cousin of the the bodyguard one. Detroit athlete in honor of fight club that you would want to fight. Like just mm. you want to beat the shit out of them. There there's like an actual physical <laughs> disdain there where like if you could get some punches and you would just knock them out. I wish I could say coach because it'd be Matt Patricia in a landslide. Uh, you know what? I if you want to go with I that, let's it? let's go with Detroit sports figure. We can we can amend oh, the, the question. This, this is my Patricia. I I Get that fucking pencil out of your ear and just oh man, I could go. I could take a couple swings at his his stupid face. I and just the smog of his just entire demeanor of the way he talks to the media and the way he just like you haven't earned shit. You can't pull the Belichick card of just how you how you cre- treat people and walk with this like high hierarchy. He's a he's a loser, man. So I'll go I'll go Patricia. But if you want me to say athlete, um. Oh, that's a tough one. I would probably do. I, I don't. I don't really hold too many grudges with athletes. Prince Fielder, maybe. I really didn't like him by the end when he was here. I, I, I was super pumped in 2012, his first season, and this is going to be great. Can't wait for the next, you know, seven, eight years of this. Uh, by the end, Prince Prince was brutal. I I, I really despised Prince when, and thankfully we traded him pretty quickly to Texas there. But I'll say Prince Fielder for athlete, and then. Uh, Patricia for I like I like your amendment. You did a nice job on the speed round. Well, Scott, man, it was awesome. Uh, Thanks. You're uh, one of my best friends. You know I love you. I will forgive your Lamar Jackson love as <laughs> ill-advised as it is. We are not allowed to discuss Lamar Jackson after this show goes off because I get very upset. 
Especially when he wins the Super Bowl, we can't talk about it because you'll be you'll be oh, real upset. Oh, if he wins the Super Bowl, you're, <laughs> you're going you're, to a bunker. You're, you're, no, I'm not going to go to a bunker. You have my uh, <laughs> my invitation to bring it up. But you know why I make that offer? Because it's the same offer as if I said a meteor is going to come strike down and end the show right now. It's about the same odds. That guy will never win a Super Bowl. He's got like two years left before. I'm not saying I'm rooting for it, but the way he plays, someone's going to cave in that ACL. Everyone was bargaining, bargaining, bargaining about RG3. And we all saw how that ended. It's not sustainable. NFL playoffs are about sitting back in the pocket, 18 degrees on third and 12, and throwing darts. That's what Mahomes does. That's what Brady does. That's what Rodgers does. That's how you win. You don't win with Lamar Jackson's uh, very exciting style play. How many ducks do we have to see this guy throw in the cold weather on the biggest stage before we relent and give up on any hope of him winning anything? No offense. I know you love him. It's all good. It's all good. I know Gorman's watching this, so Gorman, I'm very sorry to say anything bad about Lamar Jackson, but uh, yeah, that, Gorman's that guy, got my back. It, it, the best I, I was shitting on Lamar on Twitter a year or two ago, and it, it, of course the race card was played. That was that was always fun, you know. It, it's just you can't like say anything bad about Lamar Jackson without people getting whether it's that or, or whatever your arguments have been. Sure, people are so defensive of Lamar Jackson, but then again. Look who I'm defending, Tua Tagovailoa, who could who couldn't hit a guy on a third and six slant last year. Yeah, we so. got you. You got your faults. I've got mine. <laughs> I you, got my own baggage yeah. to deal with, so we'll deal with that. So anyway, thank you to Ben Augusta, the great and powerful Oz on the other side of the curtain. Uh, ben, you're doing a great job. I gave you shit for notice today. I sent him the prep sheet with all the shit to do like four hours ago, and he, he got it done. So thank you to Ben. Uh, Eric Williamson, our graphics designer, who never attends these things. He sits on his ass and watches this show and his boxers on his couch. So thank you to Eric. Does a great job. And our new addition, Dylan Smith, our social media director. I hate social media. I am on it begrudgingly. Dylan Smith does most of the hard work there. So thank you to my team. Thank you to Scott, man. It was fun to have you. Oh, it was a blast, and I can't wait to be back whenever that that time comes. Well, you will be back hopefully soon. We will be back very soon tomorrow making a Spiro Avenue debut is Evan Petzgold, the Detroit Free Press, Detroit Tigers beat writer who replaced Anthony Fennick. I don't think that replacement uh, will be a subject of conversation tomorrow, but I don't know, maybe off the record. But Evan is a young guy, Central Michigan guy, doing a great job covering the Tigers. Hey, baseball season's underway. I'm excited to have a debut here tomorrow with Evan Petzgold. So we will be broadcasting live on all 72 social media platforms. So catch us there with Evan Petzgold. Thank you to Scott Anderson, not 97.1 Scott, my Scott, joining us on the Spear Avenue show. Happy to have you back anytime. Love it. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Eric. What's up, Gorman? We love you. Tune in tonight. Bye, Gorman. (laughs) 